episode 128, Student Loan Repayment Options. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, and today we are Travis Hornsby's perspective. Join 2017 and 2018 Podcast Awards nominated host as we get a behind the curtain look at all types of doctors and guest specialties. Let's hear a doctor's perspective. How's your summer going? Meeting your goals? Got any family vacations coming up? That's a good goal to have. It is summer, by the way. And I'm not talking just taking July 4th off. But if that's all you can do, maybe take off an extra day or two, a four-day weekend instead of just the three. I know here in China, we try not to take off on work the holiday day because traffic gets out of control. All the prices jump up and uh, now we can just get an extra day off per month or however many days it was. So it's kind of nice. Roll that over for the next month. If you forgot, we got an app on Android devices, a doctorsperspective.net slash app or free app. Either one, want to take you to the free app version of the Needless Acupuncture book. The other one is the full length for only a few bucks. Might want to try that if the full version is too much. The website has been revamped.net slash bundle packs if you want to check that out. That's always fun for me to try some different landing pages and marketing. Got to test, right? Lastly, if you could leave a review, those really do help with social proof, staying in the rankings. It's funny, I joined a uh, podcast tracking and sometimes I'm, I'm high in China or Ireland or uh, Saudi Arabia, some random places sometimes where I'm like, oh, broke the top 50, broke the top 100. That's interesting. So you just never know how far reaching your podcast might go or at least, you know, certain episodes of that month that come out. Sounds good to me. And lastly, bring some feedback, the mini-sodes. Any podcast or podcast episodes specifically, you think, oh my goodness, I heard it. It blew me away. It was really good. Just you should listen to it and make a summary so that everybody else can uh, hit the main points. It's that good. Love that. Send me an email or social media. Either way. Well, today's episode, hailing from St. Louis, we got Travis Hornsby, CFA. This is going to kick off our financial mini series. It's a three week thing. First, it'll be him talking about paying off your student loans, debt forgiveness. Then we're going to have a CFP giving us the 411 on 401ks and other retirement plans. So that'll give you a good overview of what's out there, what you can do. And then the last should be a, a become your own banker, infinite banking system to grow your wealth. Uh, it's a kind of a unique thing. Those are two books, just the titles that I just said, uh, to get more information. And of course, our guest will be talking all about it. And I'm excited to... to share that with y'all. And at this point, I'm hoping to lock in like a commercial real estate agent who can discuss more about how to, what are you looking for? If you're looking to diversify into that realm of money-making diversification. But Travis, with studentloanplanner.com, and we are going to go through some plans that I didn't know about, wish I would have known about years ago, especially if you have 200000 or more student loan debt, but you only make 70000 a year. You know, what are you going to do? Uh, we talk about the pay as you earn, revised pay as you earn, income-based repayments, tax consequences when you finally do meet the end of the uh, 15 or 20 year plan, how to minimize your income in different varieties of ways. So that way, if you're on a forgiveness program, you end up paying less. And one of the questions he wishes more people would ask, how will I know if I can be financially secure one day if I have a lot of student loan debt? So he'll go through several different scenarios and ways you can do that. So, uh, and perks for working overseas. There's actually more perks for being an expat than you realize. So Really, really excited. He's got some, if you check the show notes, he has an income-driven repayment calculator that you can use. The prices are transparent. A lot, a lot of wealth of information, especially if you're probably like sub five years graduated uh, or going into the profession. So, and it's not just for chiropractors, dentists, podiatry. He's got like a little section for, for all of us individually. They've done over 3,000 consultations and things. So, 
adoptersperspective.net slash 128. Let's go hashtag behind the curtain. Live from China in St. Louis. Today in the program, we're going to talk about student loan. And we have a guy who, one of the, he was working on Wall Street, trading bonds. And I think he worked with Vanguard. And uh, it's like $10 million, $10 billion worth of trading. So this guy had, that, that is a past history. And then he transitioned into learning about student loans and how much debt these doctors have. And he's like, man, this, it's not right. Like there's so many programs out there that y'all aren't using. And so he developed a program called studentloanplanner.com. So we're really welcome and really happy to have him on. Travis Hornsby. Thanks, Justin. Excited to be on. Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, one thing I noticed was you're a Gator fan, uh, a Gator alumni, I should say, which is great. But I'm at LSU, and I say great, and I still don't care because, you know what, I always liked the Gators growing up. But it's always a rivalry. When those teams meet every year, I'm always confused on who I should root for. It's a win-win for me. Yeah, LSU LSU Gators rivalry, you know, you don't know who's going to show up. You know, the, the whole town will show up, and it's just wild. Yeah. You ever been to tailgate? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I went to school there, so you, know, you get to experience some of that. Yeah, it's fun, and I mean, they just beat us for the uh, SEC basketball championship. I was like, "Oh, you got to be kidding me!" The the, the worst <laughs> seed beat the number one seed in the division. I was like, "Oh man!" I know, I know. Trust me, I was just as surprised as you were. <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> All right, that's fun. You know, we always got to start with the, the backstory. You know, it's a weird thing to specialize in. Maybe it's not weird, but there's just not a lot of people I think that are doing what you're doing. So give us the short version of like what's going on. And then, of course, we'll follow up with a whole bunch of pointed questions to try to get the, the audience stimulated. and like, oh, my goodness, there are options out there. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've always just been really in, interested in, you know, higher education just from when I was in college. Just like I did, wrote a lot of reports about it, about cost of school and things like that. And it, I kind of, you know, filed that away, went into finance, like focused on learning about how to program Excel spreadsheets to trade bonds and things like that. And so then I kind of met my wife who had a lot of debt uh, from, from med school. And I thought, wow, this is like a lot more complicated than I thought it was, you know, because you've got all these different plans. You can refinance, you know, you can go for forgiveness, you know, and it was so complicated. I thought this is really, you know, a lot more interesting than just like making, you know, rich people richer, right? <laughs> not to say that that's not to say that, you know, like all the people that we worked with were rich. Certainly that's not the case. But I mean, it was it was just what I was not personally passionate about. And so I found this space where like she was telling me, you know, like I should talk to all of her friends. And I t- we talked to some of our friends and they're like, this is so needed. And you kind of know you found something that's a great business when your friends are, are really eager to pay for it. Right. Like you don't feel guilty being like, hey, like I started this new business. Like, will you buy one of my like, you know, I don't know. Will you buy one of my sets of baseball cards or like this, <laughs> you know, like knife cut set that I have? Like, you don't, you know, you feel really awkward about it. Right. Like when I. You know, when I told people what I was doing, they were like, I don't care what the price is, yes. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, wow, like this is something that's really needed, you know. And so I started focusing on it, and then the need grew and grew over time as we produced more content for more professions. And so now, you know, we have about 2,000 clients, about $500 million of debt we've advised. Wow. It makes sense because the amount that it is. Is, is a house, sometimes a really big house. And you can, like I said, yeah. it's going to stop you from potentially buying a house that you want, a car that you want, retiring at a right age, uh, depending on how you structure this. So and your background is a, a CFA. That's sort of like the MBA of financial people, right? Yeah. I mean, like chartered financial analyst is designation. It's more for people that are in professional investing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like pension fund managers, mutual fund managers, people like that. Right. And then your CFP is going to be somebody who's more like a financial planner for, you know, kind of middle and upper middle class America. Right. 
So, you know, you typically, they'll set up trusts and things like that. Well, it's something like that. So they'll be an expert on like insurance and estate planning and budgeting and things like that. Whereas it's like, so CFP is kind of like a mile wide and an inch deep. Ah. And then a CFA is kind of like a mile deep and an inch wide. So, you know, just on that investing portion. So, so a charter financial analyst is really somebody that's more, you know, focused on investments. The reason why like it kind of tied in with student loan debt is because I, I just find there's a lot of um, similarities. And because, it's complicated. You know. It's very complicated, right? Like you have to analyze a bunch of rules and you have to, you know, so that's kind of like reading balance sheets and, you know, you have to figure out what kind of options are available and, you know, you have to figure out like the, the present value of cash flows and there's all these like really interesting technical things. So it, it was just, it was fascinating for me personally. So that was, it was part of being in the right place at the right time and finding something that was just really unique that a lot of people were having a lot of pain over. So let's go with this. We got somebody who has 300,000 or well, I think it's about 250 these days. I think when I was school about 11, 12 years ago, 150 to 175 was normal. Now I think it's around the 250 range for at least chiropractors. And yeah. my student loan interest was only 2.5. Don't hate me. 2.5. <laughs> but now, you know, I have friends like 6.4. And that's a lot. That's a high rate at 300,000. And good grief. You're, you almost never touch the principal at this point. Um are there any benefits to paying that off as fast as you can? Like if you have a job where you make 500000 a year, you know, in a couple of years, you, can, you could pay that off. Is, is that a, I mean, how do you know if you, that's a good route to go versus like a repayment plan or um, the loan forgiveness? Yeah, sure. So your, your luck you're uh, referencing is because of the program, the FFEL program that existed before 2010. And specifically, it was that program set up with specific rules. So, you know, they had a while there in the mid 2000s, this regime that had people getting interest rates in like two or three percent. And so rather than put that onto an income based program, what people would do is they would just consolidate it and put it on a 30 year repayment plan. Right. Yeah. So you're one hundred fifty thousand dollars. You pay like seven, eight hundred dollars a month. Eventually, you're going to pay it off. But like it's such a cheap interest rate that inflation is really going to beat that. You know, you know, you don't really have to worry about it. It's almost like as long as you can make that payment, it's almost kind of like free money. Like you can just kind of let it float and just get rid of it over time, right? So it was, you know, it's always been a little painful for chiropractors um, because the default rate for chiropractors is, is, you know, a little bit higher than average compared to some some professions uh, because of debt to income ratios. And so, you know, so that was kind of like the pre kind of like direct loan phase. So like after like mid 2000s, they started something new where they tied the interest rate to what the government was yielding. So in other words, instead of getting super low interest rate, you know, they decided to say, okay, let's just add on, on top of whatever the government's borrowing at, we're going to add on like three to three and a half to four and a half percent approximately. Who makes these rules? So in, that'd be nice. Congress, ah. they just made it up. So, you know, so, so like, for example, if the government's borrowing three, then, you know, for Stafford loans, it's going to be like six, six point six. And then for grad plus it's 7.6. Wow. So that's kind of how they back into that. Right. And the, What's kind of interesting with that is is that means that when you're in school, that accrued interest grows a lot more, right? Yes, so a like lot. when you took your 2 or 3% interest, you probably left school with something similar to what you started with, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now people will add on about 25 to 30% more than what they borrowed by the time they leave school. Wow. Right? So that's p- part of the problem. So the prices have gone way up for, for school. And then on top of that, you know, you accrue a lot more like finance charges while you're in school. Because the tuition's higher now too. It seems like they ballooned in the tuition. It is. What well, is and and so what's what's kind of happened too is is I think a lot of the especially some of the chiropractic schools are and you know acupuncture schools and even a lot of veterinary schools places like that even dental schools they're not really honest with you about your income potential so for example some people do make a lot of money right 
So, you know, the, the top, you know, two or three grads in your class probably will make six figures and probably will have a super successful career and make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Right. But you're, but it's, it's really what you have to talk about is like, well, what does the average person make? You know? Yep. And, and that's one thing that I think should be like required to be disclosed because right now they don't do it. They just kind of like say some sort of anecdotal thing. And the anecdotal thing is really not backed by data. It's just like what some person in the financial aid office just like made up that day. <laughs> or like the averages of everyone all together. And you're like, well, you're, you're doing the 40,000 person and the one that has 1.6 million. Yeah, that, that's a, yeah, exactly. that's not fair. Exactly. Yeah. So I, so I see that a lot. It's like uh, probably one of the most common comments I have from chiropractic doctors that I talk to is like, yeah, my school said that we were all going to make six figures and we were going to have this like super easy life and work three or four days a week. And instead, you know, I'm working like four or five days a week and I'm only making like 40 to 60 as somebody's associate, mm-hmm. you know, and so that's like reality check. So a part of it is just kind of like reality check. OK, like, you know, as a chiropractic doctor, like there are things you can do to make a lot more money. Yes. But, you know, your typical person's going to make anywhere from 40 to 80 K in their career. Yeah. And that's just going to grow with inflation. And so if that's if that's you, if you if you feel like you're probably not going to be that person that's going to make, you know, 200, 300 K or something, which is unusual. And, you know, at least in, in a lot of cases for recent grads then that means that, you know, 250K of debt, how are you going to pay that back with 80K of income? Yeah. Right? That's even if you're doing pretty good. So, like, because you have to pay 2500 a month. Okay, that's like a third or 40% of your take-home pay. Right. You know? You want a house? You want kids? You want to retire someday? <laughs> you know, if so, you know, the, that's not, you can't do that. And so part of it is just kind of educating people on what's possible. Like, a lot of people will think that it's possible, but they emotionally just can't handle it for, for a decade. You know, I had a couple of cases where some chiropractors were big fans of Dave Ramsey and they're like, yeah, I don't care that I, you know, had these forgiveness options. Like, I just want to get rid of this debt because I borrowed it and I want to pay it off. Yeah, there's like a moral you part know? to it, too. Like, I took it. I'm responsible for it. And if it takes me 30 years to pay it off, then that's what I'm going to do. But I don't think that's yeah, exactly. Yeah. what you're saying. They're like, well, there's loopholes. Not really loopholes. There's things in the law now that says you don't actually have to do that. You don't have to feel guilty about it either because it's the rules. Well, yeah. So like what I tell people is like, okay, so if you got disabled for social security, would you feel immoral about claiming way more benefits than what you paid into the system? You know, if you retire at social security and like you get more benefits than you paid in, or you happen to be really sick and you get a lot of benefits under Medicare or Medicaid or your health insurance plan, you know, because you're really sick, do you feel bad about it? So in reality, like when the government gets involved in something, the prices go way up, mm-hmm. right? I mean, typically. And so people also have better access, you know, because things are, are more equal and people are able to do things that, and, you know, if it was just the private markets, they wouldn't be able to do. Right. So the prices go up and you have a government-created kind of issue with the schools taking advantage of easy credit from the government. So it's kind of like that, like a little bit like the housing crisis where I feel like everybody's to blame, you know? But, you know, so these folks have the higher debt. And so if you're going to have that government-created problem, like you kind of need to use you know, usually like a government solution to get out of that problem. And so that's what really what the forgiveness stuff is. So so I would just say like for, for a general rule of thumb, you know, if you owe less than one and a half times your debt, then you can pay it back through refinancing. If you owe more than one and a half times your debt, then you need to consider one of these forgiveness programs. So I always say, what's the point of going to like Harvard to get an English degree? Like that's an expensive English degree that maybe you might be a teacher, you know, with that. And that, that income to debt ratio right there is not going to be that great, I would think. It's just kind of how I look at it sometimes when people ask me like, well, you have all that money, you're a doctor, you should be able to pay it off. You're like, right. But at 60000 a year, that's not, gonna, uh, that's not really going to make it. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and, and the Harvard English degree, you know, the, the answer to that question should probably go work for a hedge fund, you know, because you have that Harvard brand name. And so, you know, you don't do anything with the English degree. It was just like a signaling mechanism to show that you're really smart. Yeah, yeah. I made it. <laughs> but, you know, 
I mean, yeah, exactly. It's like a success thing or something, you know? I mean, like, look at that, like, recent college cheating scandal, you know, with the people that pay to get their kids into elite colleges, right? Yeah. Like, people are so worried about looking successful. I had the case the other day. It was this person who they owned, uh, like, a brand new, you know, BMW or Mercedes, and it was super, super expensive. And they were like, I would retire today if I could. I'm so burnt out. I'm so tired of working and everything. And uh, and then like the the spouse of this person was like, you know, he drives the car because it makes him feel successful. And I was like, whoa, that's really deep because she, she you know, she was just kind of explaining basically like that he is a little unhappy in his job. He feels feels like he wish he could have something different. And because he feels unhappy, he's going out and purchasing something that's very expensive to feel like at least he has something to show uh-huh. for it. Right. All the pain and the work and the, the waking up early, like he's got something to point to to be like, I made it yeah. in life, you know. And then the ironic thing was that very purchase was one of the primary things keeping him from cutting back his hours and, and having less work, stress at work because of that financial obligation. Agreed. You know, that's what's fun about working in China is you start to learn, you know, living smaller, not necessarily more frugal, but just you realize you don't need all this extra stuff. Like I could afford a car here, but I don't really need one. So it just, well, there's no reason to buy one. You just be a little inconvenience from time to time to get somewhere, take a, take a bus or something or whatever. But it just seems like a lot of people are like that. They, they have to have the shiny car, which I'm fine. Like, look, if you drive a lot for your job and you're like on sales and you're, you're all over the place, I'm like, hey, maybe you do need like a nicer car because that is your eight hour day at driving around. So, but for me, I'm just kind of like, you know, just get a nice car, but you don't have to get the most nicest BMW when you have a $2,500 student loan payment to make yourself feel feel special inside. Come on. Um, when we're going to the pay as little as possible, I mean, a lot of people are, I think that's a great idea because, hey, it's only, I don't even know what it is, so you have to tell me. I think it's like 10% of your income or something like that, whatever it is. And then at the end of it, it's forgiven. So I think there's a couple of different kind of programs like that. Could you walk us through what those are a little bit? Yeah, so the the primary ones are pay as you earn and revised pay as you earn. So think about like pay 2.0. And then the original one that was the very first one was income-based repayment. So income-based repayment, 15% of your income. Okay. Right? So 15% of your income, 25 years. And then, you know, it's forgiven. Pay as you earn was the second plan. It's 10% of your income for only 20 years. So it's it's better for both parts of that, right? So pay as you earn is always typically better than income-based repayment. So if, you, if you're on IBR and you have access to pay as you earn, you should be on pay as you earn at IBR. Okay. Right? Now, the, the third plan that they created is called revised pay as you earn. And this one's the same payment as the pay as you earn one. So it's both 10% and repays 25 years instead of 20, instead of 20 years. So you might be like, well, why would anybody use that new one then, right? Yeah. So the reason for that is because repay has an interest subsidy that covers a portion of your interest. So, you know, at least if you're making, you know, a debt to income ratio um, above two to one. So if your goal is to eventually pay back your loans, but you don't want to commit to that $2,000 a month type of payment yet, then the repay plan is a great plan. And then if you want to go for a pure forgiveness strategy, the pay as you earn plan can be a pretty good option too. And the another caveat to mention is what if you're married, right? What if you have a spouse that has income and maybe the spouse maybe has no debt? So under the rules, if you file jointly or you're on the repay plan, which always considers spousal income, you have to pay based off both of your incomes and not just yours. Mm. That's kind of rough, right? But it's still just 10% or uh, 15%. Well, it's 10, yeah, it's 10 or 15, but depending on the plan you choose. But the thing is, is you could pay 10% of both of your incomes, or if you file married filing separate, you could pay 10% of just your income. Can that ever be switched? I thought you once you joint, you can't unjoint that. 
No, you could switch plans all the time. You can change strategies. You can change, you know, approaches. So, for example, I'll give you an example. Say, like, two chiropractors are married to one another. One of them came from a middle-class background. The other one from a rich family <laughs> and has no debt, right? And they make about the same amount of money. One's got the 250000 of debt, and the other one has nothing. So what that person can do is instead of doing married filing jointly and paying 10% of 100000 you know, they can file separately and pay 10% of 50000 that's pretty nice. And that's only on the yeah, that's only on the page you're in the IBR plans. So that's another thing we'll we'll do for people sometimes is like the CPAs don't even understand this as to you know why you would file separately for taxes and exclude spouses' income. Like that part doesn't make sense to them because they're not student loan experts, right? They know the tax code, right? And so what what we can tell people usually is we can kind of predict, hey, we think that you know your tax penalty from this is going to be pretty small, and the student loan savings are going to be pretty big. You know, go talk to your CPA to just verify this. But you're you're gonna probably save like five hundred dollars a month by doing married filing separate and your or your student loan payment. I know with one of these programs, you will have a big tax bill at the end. So whatever they're mm-hmm. gonna forgive you, you owe a rate on that, or is it the amount that you get forgiven? It's like thirty percent of the hundred thousand that you get written off. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, so so if there's two kinds of forgiveness, there's the kind that you work at a government or not for profit employer full time for ten years, and you have your debt forgiven after those 10 years, you pay no income tax on it. It's just forgiven straight up. It's called the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program. That's a less common program for people to get because there's restrictions on it. The one that is the income-driven forgiveness program, income-driven repayment forgiveness program is called IDR forgiveness. That's available to anybody no matter what's going on in life. So you can be working full-time, part-time, not at all. Everybody qualifies. So that's the one that's 20 to 25 years. And you use the same repayment plans for both of those forgiveness programs. So with with the, the difference between, you know, the public service loan forgiveness and the IDR forgiveness is the IDR forgiveness, you're, you know, private sector, part-time, not working, you know, not qualifying for the PSLF for whatever reason. So at the end of those 20 to 25 years, you're right, you have a big balance. So if let's say you, you make 50000 as a chiropractor and you're, you've got 250000 of debt, your 250K grows to 500K, you know, because you're only paying – you know, three hundred dollars a month, right? Yeah. And so then, yeah. So in twenty years, you owe income tax on five hundred grand. So that means you got to come up with two hundred thousand dollars to pay the IRS all at once. Oh, so you got to start saving. Now that sounds pretty bad, right? Yes, yeah, so you almost have to save. All right, I'm going to pay three hundred a month, but I need to save another three fifty to cover that bill at the end. Yeah. And be diligent to do that. Yeah, yeah. So you're still out seven hundred bucks well, a month. That's the thing. It's actually. Yeah, but it, but it's actually a lot easier than you think, right? Because you just mentioned the three fifty a month or something. Yeah, you figure out what it is. It's maybe four hundred, five hundred dollars a month that you put it into a brokerage account, mutual funds, index funds, right? And then you just put that in there with an automated uh, bank transfer, so you can set that up with basically any company now. You know, Betterment, Vanguard, uh, Schwab, Fidelity. Like, there's all these different companies you can use. You know, to to put investments away every month. So you do that. You set that up where you're not even thinking about it. And then if your total payment for your loans covering your tax bomb and covering your payment, if it's only like six, seven, eight hundred dollars a month, you know, now you're back to that day back in the mid two thousands where you were paying eight hundred dollars a month for thirty years, right? Right. But you know, in this case you're only doing it for twenty years. So you could say that even though people today have, you know, thirty, forty, fifty percent more debt than people back in the day, or maybe even a hundred percent more debt in some cases, the people today even though they have the more debt, I mean, they're actually kind of better off than people back in the day because the people back in the day didn't have all these income-driven options and they had to pay the thing off, right? So, you know, paying 100 to 150K off is actually very similar to doing an income-driven plan on 300,000. 
as weird as that sounds. And they're making, if you're investing it, hopefully in something super safe, where you don't lose money. You could be making six or 7% and that money is just growing quarter after quarter with the dividends. And so when it comes time to it, you might have a little left over from the interest. Yeah. Yeah. And if you said, well, if you set it up automatically, that's the key, like set it and forget it and don't ever sell, you know, and, and, you know, when the market crashes, you don't have to worry about it because it's being invested for 20 years from now, you know? So the, the thing that I've found that's kind of weird is a lot of people feel trapped by the debt. You know, they feel like maybe sometimes they're, sometimes they, they understand it. Sometimes they're, they're just like a little depressed about it. Sometimes they kind of ignore it, but sometimes they're angry. You know, I just feel like my future is wrecked because of this. And what, what can I even do? I've, I've got all this debt, you know. Yeah, you can't bankrupt it. Yeah, you can't get rid of it. Like, you know, actually one of the best things you can do is move to China because you can get a, a foreign earned income tax exclusion. Yeah. Do you ever use that on your own taxes? Yeah, the first 85 is free. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I think I think it's 100 now maybe, but. Oh, even better. <laughs> the first 85,000 US dollars you make, you don't have to pay taxes on it from another country. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure with the inflation adjustment now it's about 100,000. So. You know, that means that if you make less than 100000 your your AGI for U.S. purposes is zero, right? Mm-hmm. So because your AGI is zero, what can your income-based payment be? You still have to claim the money you made, though. You do, but you claimed everything legally because you filed U.S. taxes and you exempted all of your income overseas based off the foreign income tax exclusion. Huh. So it's not, it's not based on what your earnings are. It's based on what your AGI is. Ah. Adjusted gross income. So, so if you have an adjusted gross income of zero because you're an expat living abroad and working abroad, then you sim- you can you have the ability to submit that tax return to your your loan servicer, and they have to take that because it shows a legal U.S. income of zero. Wow! See, I should have contacted you two years ago, three years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, so like literally, the the strategy would be if you're going to be over there permanently, is paying zero dollars a month for the next twenty to twenty five years. Yeah. And you literally would pay nothing and your loan balance would grow. Now, you know, interest on student loans actually doesn't compound if you're on an income-based plan. It actually grows at a, at a, at a linear rate. Hmm. So it goes up at a rate of simple interest instead of compounded interest. That's nice. So even over like 20, 25 years, your, rate, your, your interest should probably only double, even though it's over such a long period, even, even if it's a high rate. So like let's say you go from owing 200 to 400. Well, now you're overseas and you have your first taxable income ever. And if you're exempting the first 100K, then, you know, taxes on that amount might actually only be taxed at a lower rate, maybe like 25% instead of like the 40% rate. Because, you know, people in the U.S., they got to add that income onto what they're already making, right? Oh, yeah. And if you're overseas, you're exempted from a lot of that. So in other words, like say say you pay like, you know, 20, 30% in taxes on 400K. Okay, well, maybe you're paying like 120,000, but you owe 200 at the beginning. So would you like to pay 120k as a lump sum in 20 years from now after inflation eats the value away at that for 20 years? Sounds like a great deal, right? Sounds like more people need to come to China. One more reason. Yeah, or or Australia or New Zealand or whatever. I mean, like I talk to people. Yeah, I talk to people all the time that you know are abroad and are taking advantage of this because it's a legal thing to do, and, and that's probably the best way. Like for people that are really mentally stressed, that's probably the best way to to get a handle on your student loan debt if you just like don't want to deal with it at all. Yeah. They just move and work abroad. That's a really interesting. You know, I was just interviewed the other day and never knew this. And that'd been a really cool thing to just kind of throw out there. Like, I don't know all the details, but you can contact somebody and they'll let you know about all these little secret things to make even more sense to go somewhere else and work for a while. That's really cool. Cause I'm on my plan. My plan is I'm going to be paying it off. Like I've got been saving the money. I'm going to drop the money on it, pay it off and be done with it. Cause you know, I was kind of chatting with my wife and I was like, she's kind of stressed about it. Like it's every month, every month, 
you know, you, even if you're doing the repayment and you're gonna get stuff forgiven, you still gotta come up with 120. And so at this point, based on what we owe, we're like, let's just knock it out because if we can knock it out, we don't have to worry about it. And so from any job from now on, if I get a job somewhere or I make my own, I don't have to come up with $700 a month anymore. That's just 700 bucks I can buy a better house or a kid's retirement fund yeah. or a kid's school fund or whatever. So for us, you know, I think we're at that point where it's enough where uh, it's hard to go back to some of the programs that y'all are talking about. But one of the questions I did have, if your income grows, you're making 50, finally your marketing's working, you finally realize how to communicate with your patients better so they don't just disappear so fast, you're growing, things are going well, you're like, oh my goodness, I went from 50, now I'm six years into it, I'm making 275000 Is there ever a cutoff salary where you're excluded from these programs anymore? Well, you get capped out. So you can get capped out and just you have to pay make payments on the standard 10-year plan. Okay. So for example, if you owe 250k of debt and you're killing it, you know, then what might happen is your payment would just get capped at the $2500 a month mark. And then if you're paying 2500 a month, if that happens pretty soon, like the 6-year mark that you suggested, then the person's just going to pay the debt off in full and, and they're not going to get any forgiveness at all because it's a 10-year standard repayment plan, right? Okay. So there's a cap at least. So so that kind of situation what I would tell somebody there's a fun, yeah, there's a real, I mean, there's basically a cap. Like, well, basically, you know, I mean, that's on the, under the pay plan. On the repay plan, there's no cap. It's always just 10% of your income. Mm. So at the end of it, if you really make a lot of money, you might never, you may not actualize some of the forgiveness. Right. Well, like, so the worst thing that can happen is you'd pay the debt off. <laughs> worst case. And that's kind of a funny thing to think about. Like, worst that's, case that's scenario. The, worst, <laughs> the worst case scenario is you're debt free. Yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> like, yeah. So, I mean, Come on, Travis. I wanted to save money. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. So like what I actually what I would tell somebody there that's making 275 is you actually still might be able to qualify for forgiveness. And here's how. So if you buy your building, you can take depreciation for the useful life of the building, talking to a CPA to figure out what that is. So maybe that's a write-off of something. And then also maybe you have other kinds of write-offs for just various business expenses, you know, that you might be investing in the practice, you might be buying equipment. You know, maybe you buy, you know, some machines that you can write off your income for that'll increase the value of your practice. Also, you can right. deduct business interest if you have any practice loan that's associated with that. Another thing you can do is contribute to retirement accounts. So, for example, let's say that, you know, you've got a, uh, you know, a family where, you know, maybe the, the wife or the husband's the doctor and the other one's doing office manager type work trying to keep the practice running. It's kind of common setup, you know. Um, so in that case, you know, you pay the spouse that's not the doctor. And then you have them both contribute to retirement plans. So both of them could contribute $19,000 each to their retirement plans. That's 38000 And then on top of that, you can make a matching contribution. So you could write off income maybe in the, like, the 40 to 45K range, right? So now you drop your income. Unless you're filing separately. Well, right. So you, you might not do that, right? You, it depends on the situation. But you, know, you could write your income down from two seventy five. You, you know, do some depreciation, some, some retirement stuff. Maybe you write your income down to like 200K or something like that. And then maybe you, you create even more stuff. You maybe have like a, a pension plan that you set up, you know, on top of that, you know, a private pension plan. So maybe you write off some stuff for that too. So maybe instead of 200K, maybe you get your income all the way down to like 150. And hey, guess what? Now that your income's down down at that level for tax purposes, maybe now your, your debt to income ratio is below this 1.5 to 1 or above this 1.5 to 1 level I talked about. And maybe it makes sense to still go for forgiveness. So, you know, that's kind of that's kind of interesting, right? And like another example that's kind of weird, I'll give you a loophole, right? There's this loophole called the, the breadwinner loophole. So if you're in one of the states out west, th this is really, really kind of crazy. I, I was kind of blown away when I first heard about this the first time. But all these states out west, there's nine of them. 
that are community property states. Louisiana is actually one of them, right? You ever heard of Louisiana being a community property state? I think so. Some Napoleon baloney. Yeah, it's like it's a weird, weird rules, right? So like basically the states that used to be owned by Mexico and and like France and you know that kind of thing, like they have this. Yeah, the Louisiana Purchase. Yeah, so they have this like they have this different set of rules for for marriage. So it basically you know talks about community property and marriage. And so what this kind of means is if you do married filing separate, you can equally distribute income on your both of your tax returns. So for example, let's say that you're making 150 and your wife's making nothing. And you decide you, you have 250k of debt from school. So what you could do is if you do married filing separate, they're only supposed to use your income, right? If you happen to live in one of these community property states, you can claim 75,000 of income for each spouse. And then since your payment's just based on your income, you can pay your income-driven payment on just your income of 75000 instead of 150000 My goodness, the nuggets just keep falling from the sky with you. Yeah, That's so that could, save, that could save somebody five or six figures if you happen to live in one of those nine states. And they're pretty big states like Texas and California. And can't you pay your kids? Can you pay your kids? Well, I heard there's something like, like they could be like a model and you take some pictures and you put them on your computer or like there's different like I don't know if it's, it's not a lot like maybe it's like five or ten thousand dollars a year that you can do. But I don't know if that's true or not or how what the rules are. Yeah, I mean, like there's I mean, there's some legitimate ways you can do stuff like that. I mean, yeah, you can I mean, you can pay you can pay like standard modeling rates or something. You know, a lot of people do that to put money away in their kids like Roth IRAs or something like that when they're real young. You know, I mean, yeah, so people do that. I mean. What I say is like I my philosophy on on a lot of these things is just to try to be in the middle of the pack and not be the most most aggressive or the least aggressive. You know what I mean? Like I think that there's this person. You know, so the payments are based on your your family size, right? I had this one guy. He sent me an email. He's like, "Hey man, you know, I don't know if it's just me, but uh, your spreadsheet doesn't work. I give this spreadsheet away for free. You know, on the on the on the on planner dot com. And so he downloaded it and he said your spreadsheet doesn't work." I've got a family size of, I think he said 13. Hey, come on, man. You know, it was like, it was like 13 or 14. He's like, yeah, we got like 12 kids, <laughs> you know, and I, I don't, I don't know what my payment's going to be, you know? And I said, well, dude, you know, you just broke my spreadsheet. I got to make a new one just for you. That <laughs> <laughs> was pretty, pretty unusual there. Yeah. Um, it, it reduced his payment a lot. You know, he, you know, his payment would have been like 500 a month. I think it was like zero. Cause he had so many write-offs cause all the kids and everything. Oh my goodness. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty funny. But yeah, you know, you, you know, the, the kids stuff. I mean, you know, there's there's all kinds of things you can do with with business stuff, writing things off. I mean, I just think that you want to be, like I said, kind of in the middle of the pack. Like you don't want to be the most aggressive person out there because that's the people that get whack a mole and have to pay huge penalties and fees to the IRS. You know, those are the people that the IRS tends to come after. You yeah, know, I'm not a fan you, of the gray area. Yeah, well, I mean, like if if you're do well, if you're doing everything, you feel like you can justify it, and and you're and you're you're doing something that's defendable mm-hmm. like i don't have a problem defending something that i think is defendable right you know i i just have a problem with you know defending something that i think you know isn't isn't legitimate you know and so like in the case of that breadwinner loophole the reason why i feel like it's okay is because federal laws basically require you to split income this way so your tax return is supposed to be done this way in certain states and so when you, when you submit your income for student loan repayment you submit your tax return that's what they primarily ask for. Right. So you're not making any misrepresentations. You know, you're just literally submitting your tax returns according to the law. And if they interpret those to give you a lower payment, then there's nothing wrong with that. You ever get people that say, "Oh man, I guess I better not make too much money." What's the max that I should make? Yeah, so so what I tell people, right, is the worst case scenario is your your student debt is a tax, it's not a debt. So worst case scenario, you're paying like 10% of your income towards loans and you're paying like 5 to 10% towards the tax bomb. 
So, you know, you're losing probably like 15 to 20% of your income. That's worst case scenario in your loans. And if you honestly think about it, like, okay, let's pretend you're in Sweden and you have the choice to make a million dollars and pay 70% taxes, or you can make 50 and pay 20% taxes. Which one do you want? Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, you always want the higher income no matter what. Like, you know, it doesn't make, unless, unless you just prefer to have the free time, you'd rather not work those extra hours, you know, or not work as hard. Like that's a legitimate reason, but you know, if you're just thinking like, oh, I, I like working, I like making more money, like, but I'm scared to make more because my IBR payment will go up. Well, that's like kind of not the right thinking. But people think so that. So what? Though. What I tell they do, yeah. And I tell people, you know, you want to think about it like a tax. As a tax, it's not a debt. And when it becomes this ratio that I talked about, the 1.5 to one, that's when it becomes a debt instead of a tax because you're making so much money, right? Remember the case where the person's making so much they get kicked off or something? Yeah. So it's kind of like that. If you're if you're if you're not at that level where your your debt is a, a reasonable ratio to your income, then you, you have a tax. And so what I tell folks is, okay, so you've got a tax that you're losing about 10 to 15% of your income to. So let me ask you this. Would you rather not be a chiropractor and would you rather be a teacher? So maybe you're making 80K as a chiropractor, but you make 40K as a teacher. Say you lose 15% of 80 to you know repayment and, and the tax bomb. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you lose what, like, Twelve thousand dollars, something like that. So you lose twelve thousand dollars, and you're left over with sixty-eight. Would you rather make sixty-eight thousand, or would you rather make forty thousand? You know. Yep. So I try to paint that picture for a lot of people sometimes, and I know that you know in some some cases in chiropractic, like the tough part is like the people who are are kind of more struggling out there. They're making salaries that they would have made just coming out of college. Yeah, that's the problem. You know, and so that's just like a, a disclosure issue. I think that you know, honestly, like if if I had my preference, I think that the chiropractic field would be maybe like a third of the size that it is. And then the incomes in the profession would be way, way higher, you know? But um, yeah, there's just some of my thoughts. We can talk more about this, but I think the people kind of miss the the fact that the person that they're looking at in the mirror is the person that is going to determine whether or not they're financially successful, even if you have 250K of student debt. Well, you know, a nice thing too is if you have an S-corp of some sort, you can do a draw, an owner's draw, which is only at the 15% rate instead of the 30% rate because you don't have to pay, you know, the Medicare and all that kind of, or med- yeah, Medicare and all those types of uh, Social Security benefits. And at least when I was, you know, working in America, like I said, I, I don't like gray areas. And I always tell my accountant, I was like, look, if there's something that I can use, like you're talking about, let's do it. But if you have to sit there and kind of wonder, well, if we ever get audited, we you know, we may have to, I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want to be that guy. Like, I know you might be able to do it, but I don't want to be that guy. But we did. We did an owner's draw. You know, I had a salary, and then I'd have an owner's draw, and I paid less taxes on the draw. And I'm, I don't know all the rules yeah, behind it. Most people, most people do but that. That's something that they can look at as well to lower their tax burden. Yeah, like most people do that. They, yeah, you, you set yourself a wage that's fair and reasonable. So maybe you set a wage of sixty thousand or something like that. And if you make more profit than that, then what you can do is just distribute that as as a, a K one distribution. It's basically a Schedule K, uh, and you just take you take that as as a distribution, and then. The nice so the thing that people should know, I, sometimes so a lot of so a lot of chiropractors out there, a lot of doctors are paying only on their wages, even if they're business owners. That's technically not legal. So that's an example of something that's too aggressive that's not supposed to happen because the form that you fill out explicitly says you have to include all forms of taxable income, and you know owners' draws are taxable income. So you know that's the thing is like take advantage of the rules and do it in a legal way. So you don't have to stress about things because, you know, you can get all those deductions and write-offs and, you know, pay less of a percent on your owner's draw for your student loan payment too. You just have to know how to maximize the rules. Most people 
my experience, about 90% of people are doing something that's a, a five-figure long-term mistake with their student loan debt. That's that's a pretty high percentage just because it's, it's very complicated. People have a lot of, you know, they mess up a lot of things. So I think I have a lot of the questions that I had answered. And I know you've been on multiple podcasts. I think you had your own podcast, if I'm not mistaken, for oh, a little while. I don't know if it's still going. We, we do. It is. It is still going. It's a student loan planner podcast. So if you're really into really arcane, bizarre uh, student loan stuff, we'll talk shady strategies that we don't think are legit, ones that are, you know, people that paid off 400000 people that are, you know, have a million dollars in student loan debt or, you know, just everything in between. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty fun if you enjoy student loan related stuff. Let me ask you this. You've been interviewed a few times. Are there any questions that you wish people would ask that haven't that they haven't that you're like, "Ah, oh, I wish every time you get off the phone you're like, "Dang, they should have asked me this because this is something that's really important." Yeah, I would I would I would uh wish that people would ask me, "How can I know that I'm going to be financially secure one day if I have a lot of student loan debt?" So that's the one question that that I think that more people should be aware of. And a lot of times like I'll talk to people and I'll say, "Okay, when when would you like to not work anymore?" And they'll say something like I'd love to not be working in 20 years. I'm like, okay. All right. So let's look at what your percent of your income going to loans and investing is at this point. And when I know that answer and I know what they spend, I can project things with my spreadsheet and I actually added something to my spreadsheet to do this. And it basically shows what their projected net worth is in the future. So it'll show somebody how many years they have to go until they could be financially secure. And so what I found is student loan borrowers, the secret to financial success as a student loan borrower is simply to have a higher savings rate than everybody else. Oh. So if if you have a third of your income going to loans and investing and retirement savings, that's that's the magic number. You need at least a third. Wow. So if if ten percent is going to your loans, maybe five percent is going to your tax bomb, and then maybe eighteen percent the remainder is going to retirement and investing. If you have a third of that going to those those categories, if you're going for an income driven plan, refinancing, it doesn't matter you're going to be financially secure one day. If you have less than that, then there's a really good chance that you're going to have to engage in some really creative solutions to retire, like drastically downsizing your house, drastically cutting your spending, moving to like a trailer home park in Florida for like 70 plus year olds. <laughs> Move to Vietnam. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Move to Vietnam. Yeah, exactly. You know, go to, go to some cheap place to live. So if, you know, so if you want to be financially secure, you need to have a third of your of your income going to savings, investments, and student loan payments. And the thing is, is if, if that's not happening, usually it's not happening because of cars and houses. So for for the most most of the time, it's related to that. And and there's usually not other things that I see causing people problems. You know, I've done Justin, I've done like thirteen hundred plans or something like that, and the team's done like two thousand, right? Wow. I've never ever seen a single case where somebody's budget problems are being caused by going out to eat. Oh, really? I've never seen one. Not to say that doesn't exist. I'm just saying like the the going out to eat might be a thousand or two thousand a month, but then living in, you know, buying buying a house in California. You didn't need a five thousand square foot house? Yeah, like they have a you know, a million dollar house in California that's like four or five thousand a month when they probably should just be renting a, you know, two bedroom apartment or something. You know? And it's and it's kind of like again that that like psychological like have I been successful have I made it like am I a doctor or not it's like that kind of mentality and so when people make those decisions with their consumption and their housing and their cars to feel successful in life what you're what you're saying is you know what I'm 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 okay with retiring in my seventies and wow 
and that and that might be okay. Like maybe people want to work until seven. I think I, I think that's great. If that's what your what your goal is, great. But a lot of people they're <laughs> that's not. What you want to do? That's, yeah, that's <laughs> not what they're trying to do, right? Like a lot of people they're like, hey, I want to do retirement in my like early sixties so I can go travel and I can have some fun experiences and I don't have to worry about having full use of my body, you know, to do all these procedures that I do and you know when I'm a senior citizen, like I don't want to be trying to do that, right? So, right. so I, I tell people, you know, have your cars paid off. Don't have a car payment. If you do, that's just not a good idea because you have student loans. You have all these other things going on, and you're not going to be able to successfully handle both long term. You know, so get rid of your car payments. Pay c- cash for cars on Craigslist. And then for your house, just limit your house purchase to two times your joint income. So if you can do, if you can do those things, you're going to end up being successful because you're going to have enough money left over to invest. It's kind of interrelated. You know, you kind of pick that 33% of your income or more, you know, and then you, or you try to back into it by just saying, how do I limit my housing and car expenses? So if you do those things, you're going to be okay. And then if you want to retire much, much sooner and be financially independent a lot faster, you know, then you might just need to say, well, how do I get my savings rate up to 40% or 50%? Right. Wow. That's tough. So, yeah, that's so a that's, lot of money, but <laughs> it's a lot when you're talking about 80,000. Right. Well, I mean, it just depends on your situation, right? If you're living in the middle of nowhere, you know, making 80K because you don't have any competition and, you know, your house yeah, is yeah. like $600 a month, you know, maybe it's not that hard, right? And if you're living in, you know, if you're living in like Portland, <laughs> you know, where there's like a bazillion chiropractors and, you know, acupuncturists and naturopaths and everything. Crappy house is 225. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's like the one that's like got the, you know, you, you share the room with rats or something at 225 in Portland, right? Like f- 500 is like your minimum or something, right? I mean, I'm just joking, but like, I mean, that's that's the problem. A lot of problems people have too is like self-inflicted. Like they they're, they don't want to move away from this saturated area. Like you're doing, what you're doing in China is kind of brilliant really because you're going to a new place that's not as, you don't have to worry about as much competition. You know, you're, having more of an adventure so i wish more people would do that you know if if you're in a really saturated market you're only making 40 50 60k as a chiropractor maybe move somewhere that needs your services more you know my, me and my buddy were talking the other day and he goes you know 70 percent of people in america live within 15 miles of where they were born or wherever they grew up and you know we were both like we went to school in different cities we lived nowhere near home i mean i was in colorado was where i had my clinic so that's obviously far from louisiana it's like if you were willing to move you could probably make more money and yeah. you go where the money's at. I'd interviewed a dentist management company. He goes, you know, the problem that a lot of dentists have, they have a lot of student debt and it costs a lot to build a clinic. And what they'll end up doing is they go move somewhere as like an associate. They buy a house and then they go to try to like start their own or buy a clinic. And it's 45 minutes away from the big city. And they're like, I just bought a house and I can't. And they're like, dude, you could literally triple your income if you just move 45 minutes down the street. Yeah. Like, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. My kids are in school already and this and that and have a house. And that was one of his advices. Like, don't buy a house. Until you, yeah, you pick a clinic out for yourself. Yeah, buy your practice first and then buy the house. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a big piece of advice for sure. Okay. Hey, real interesting. This has been good. Real good. I can't think of anything else at the moment to, to ask you. So uh, I really appreciated the second piece of that because I didn't realize, you know, that the 33%, that's really smart. And I like the idea that you're saying the student loan payment counts as part of that 33%. I was kind of like calculating my head. I was like, how much? Okay, I'm, I'm maxing this out, but I could... Could I save more? And I was like, oh, wait, student loan. All right. I'm about in the yeah. range that he is talking about. That's good because I'm not sure if I could put any more to retirement than I already am. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and you can get you can get that. Um, I don't know if you have show notes, but I can give you the, the link for that calculator that people can download. Do it. Yeah. And um, yeah. 
and if I guess if, if people have a lot of debt, you know, studentloanplanner.com, there's there's actually a section for basically every profession that probably is listening right now. So for for your listener, you know, they should have something written specifically for them. So they just got to check out the blog, and there's all kinds of categories in the right sidebar where you know you can see your profession and see everything we've written. We've written a lot of stuff about chiropractors, you know, podiatrists. Even I know you have a series that came out about that. Uh, you know, dentists. You know, literally everything you could kind of imagine. We we tried to focus on and write about. Yeah. So if people just want to hit us up, help at studentloanplanner.com. Love to hear what's going on with your life. That's fantastic. A wealth of knowledge, Travis. I really appreciate your time, and uh, I definitely hope that they will sign up for your newsletter use your services. And what's nice is audience, his prices are transparent. They're on the website. You don't have to guess how much am I going to pay. Guess what? Can I tell them the price? Sure. It's like $295. i am thinking most people are probably going to qualify around the $295 range. So we're not talking $3,000 and he'll examine your stuff. It's just $295 with the amount of money that you'd save the first year and how big of a, of a burden it is. To me, that's almost like just pay the money, get that weight off of your shoulders to know what's going on. I'm sure we can spend $300 eating out this month that we could have just had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yeah, and and that's and that's, you know, transparently that's that's uh, one of the team members will be working with you at that rate. So like we have like different levels of depending on how much debt. So the max the max level is is 595 for people who owe over 400k. Uh and then, you know, I take the ones over 400k and I've got, you know, a team of CFP, CFA kind of folks that work on the 0 to 400k segment. But uh, but yeah, it's it's transparent. You know, you're, you're never going to be surprised with what you're paying with us, and that's a big a passion of mine. Like a lot of you know financial planners out there, you know, it's like they kind of like it's almost like a bait and switch or something where they like they want to talk to you, yeah. like they want to get to know you, and then like at the end of the call, they're, they no, you slide, get Justin. <laughs> yeah, they, they yeah they slide they slide the well they slide the envelope over and they're like oh by the way it's you know it's ten thousand a year or something. It's like what <laughs> you know like it'd be nice if you told me that you know and put it on the website so I could at least know that to like not waste my time you know. I, I hate to say that I would I was going through a divorce and before that happened I was like I'm gonna go contact somebody and you know a lawyer and he were, we were just talking and da 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 and then he's like look yeah if you decide to use us which I hopefully y'all guys can just work it out but if you have to use us you're not gonna get me I'm like six hundred an hour you're gonna get one of these other guys that you can afford I was like oh. Okay, well, that's good to know. So it's just kind of funny. It's like, and eh, we're going to give you to the person that's better at your rate. But um, no, I'm a Justin, and you got a Justin on there. It's a, I forget the girl's name, uh, but Lauren. I just, I just recognize my own name. Yeah, Justin, Lauren, and, and, then, and then Rob does the 200 to 400K. But, you know, all of them, all of them have done, you know, 100, they've done hundreds of consults, you know, together. So, you know, they're very experienced. You know, we just try to pair the most complex cases with, you know, the the skill level, right? So, you know, if 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 somebody's got seven hundred thousand in debt, <laughs> like I had one of those yesterday, seven hundred fifty thousand, that's just a different a different consult. There's probably you know forty five different loans. There's probably three or four five different servicers. Things things can get really really complicated. And you know, that's I, I basically just wanted to have that lower price for people that have you know the hundred k or the hundred fifty k. You know, they they need a little bit of help, but they don't need a massive kind of complicated thing but they but they need the plan so yeah so we we've got something i like for, it i like the tears everybody that's nice yeah yeah but thanks thanks for for sharing that justin absolutely studentloanplanner.com another great interview has ended as i always say i hope you listened critically think and implement something so that your practice life family life can improve this week 
Want to hit you up with a few links today. If you'd like to know what the top episodes of 2018 and 2017 were, you can just go to .NET slash top 1718 and you can get a PDF of all those episodes. It's like 22 of them. If you're interested on any of the programs that I've actually been interviewed on, just go to .NET slash as heard on. So play on as, as seen on, you know, so as heard on. If you didn't know, the Needless Acupuncture book sales page has been revamped, so it looks a lot better. You know, sometimes when you look at a web page and it doesn't look like it's put together well, you're like, meh, I'm not sure about this thing. But it's been redone. looks better. And also, if you have an Android device and you're curious about it, you can actually now download the same five protocols, blueprints, if you will, right there on your phone at the Needless Acupuncture app. And for less than $4, you can get the whole book on your phone from the Android Google Play store. So if you're interested, check that out. The electric acupuncture pen is still available at a great rate. You can get it on its own or as a package. So you can get the book, the e-pen, as well as the auricular points. Now, some of the things that I'm recommending, Blueberry Hosting, that's who I use. I really like them a lot. I'm not going to lie to you. Fiverr is where I get a lot of my music done, my logos. I don't know if you noticed on Facebook, I believe my picture is now a face with a bunch of words. I just saw that real quick. It was cheap. Yeah, I'll try that for a little while. It's fun. A turtle pillow. It's a travel pillow. It actually has like an H-beam in it. So you can rest your neck and your chin on that. So you don't get like the chicken bob where you, you know, you're sleeping and boom, you wake up really fast. And you know, those, those U-shaped ones, I just don't think they work very well. So for me, it's worked really well. I've traveled know, 10 different countries with it. Across the pond, as they say. I really highly recommend that. If you're into instrument-assisted soft tissue manipulation, two options. You got Hawk Grips, so .NET slash Hawk Grips, and also .NET slash Edge. And you can get tools there as well. But they also have way more than just tools. They've got how to get to use Google Apps as your EMR. Uh, blood flow restriction cuffs. There's a lot of research on that device. And you can check that episode from the past. And you can get an automatic 10% discount on all the products from the Edge Mobility Equipment. Uh, one of the devices I use to to send out snippets of the podcast via picture and uh, quotes from the text that I write from the show notes is Missing Letter. They just took out the last E in letter.com. Pretty much, you know, you can do a blast in, in two months, you know, like five of emails over two months. I like to do nine emails over 12 months. So that person who was interviewed last month doesn't just get lost, right? You know, so every day I have a new episode at a highlight and it's all automated. It's really cool. Definitely check it out. Uh, if you need to record your screen, I like Screencast-O-Matic. Also, JLab Audio Speakers. I've said it before. I love them. Uh, it's a great company. And now I get to actually be an affiliate for them. So if you end up buying any of their products, just like any of these, I get a little piece. I uh, probably have like three or four different products. I mean, they're just the battery lives are longer. The sounds quality is amazing. Uh, and for the price, it can't love it a bunch. And of course, in the show notes, anytime you see a book link, you buy it, it comes to me. And .net slash t-shirts will help us out. And lastly, again, something I don't talk about too much, but if you need coaching, whether it's via the Today's Choices, Tomorrow's Health, you need some help with taking those small steps and accountability so that you can actually lose the weight or start exercising more or get your budget in order, just let me know. I can help with that. Also, if you just need some minor marketing coaching or things like that, I can help you out with that as well. Just go to .net slash support. And of course, on there, you can also buy the host a cup of coffee or uh, even more than that. There's different options available. So. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next week or on the mini-sode. We just went hashtag behind the curtain. I hope you will listen and integrate what some of these guests have said. By all means, please share across your social media, write a review, and if you go to the show notes page, you can find all the references for today's guest. You've been listening to Dr. Justin Trostclair, giving you a doctor's perspective. <laughs>